Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. You know, uh, we've this couple of months, this month and next, our theme uh, is stand and worship as we come into Christmas. And worship is more than just some songs. Uh, Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is every part of your life. Worship to God comes in many ways. You can sing, but you can also with your actions and your words and everything like that. And so that's our theme. I'm not going to specifically talk about worship today, but um, everything I am uh, talking about, worship is a part of it. And uh, I just want to say first up that, you know, I just really believe that there is so much more than God wants to do, and we just don't realize it. And um, this morning I felt the Holy Spirit say, he said, you don't need to make me do more. I want to do more. But it's, he responds to us. If we hunger and we thirst for him, he's waiting to flick the switch. He's waiting to pour out more, more than we've ever seen. And so one of my goals is today is to stir you. And I believe that by the end of this message, something's going to shift and happen today. And um, I'm going to read you some stuff at the end that's going to trigger some things, that's going to cause hunger and thirst in people's lives. You know, uh, Let's talk about water for a moment. Water is something that uh, we can't survive three days without water. And uh, your body starts to shut down. All kinds of terrible things start to happen if you don't drink water. You can, get, you can drink water. You also get water from some foods you eat and things like that. There's no other resource that's more essential to sustain life. There's none. And so we need physical water, but we also need spiritual water. And, uh, and it's easy to you know, become spiritually dry in the same way you can become physically dry. And sometimes you don't heed the signs of it. And uh, you know, when you're physically dehydrated or you're dry, you know, your first thing is you get thirsty. Now, it's actually good. It's okay to be thirsty. The Bible talks about thirsting for God and hungering for God. It's okay to be thirsty because thirst is the initial sign saying you need to drink. Thirst is the sign saying drink some water, you need to do it. Sometimes we're busy and we ignore the thirst. And if you, has anyone done this? You're oh, a bit thirsty, I want to have a drink. And you keep going, you keep doing whatever you're doing. Or you're getting dehydrated and you don't realize it. And, when you, and then you ignore the thirst and then you get tired. You might start to get headaches. You can get weak, uh, and if you keep ignoring it, there's a few doctors in this place that could tell you there's some terrible things that start to happen to your body. It can shut down and when you ignore that. And, and so you, there's a physical sense that we can get dry, but there's also a spiritual dryness that can come. And, um, and I'd and say from the outset today that that majority of us in here, to some degree, are spiritually dry that including myself on some level and you go you can't say that yep I did so whether you and I'm and you'll and you'll see by the end why because when when we because sometimes we don't think we are like we're at church and it's awesome to be in church and we're worshiping God and and we're and we're and life's happening and we're helping people all these things that happen but it's when you taste living water from Jesus and when you taste it, you suddenly realize I was 
so dry. Because when I've tasted this water, I just didn't realize how dry I was. And so there's some things that can make us, or some signs that make us spiritually dry. We lose our passion for God. We don't pray as much maybe as we used to. We maybe don't read the Bible as much as we used to. We isolate. We kind of go, oh, I'm a bit tired to go to church today. Sometimes you've got to, sometimes, you know, and you don't always feel like going. We don't, don't run your life on feelings. You don't always feel like going to church. You don't feel like doing these things. But it's like if you you need to, you go, oh, but I'm going to go because I know that God is there. God is going to do something. And so sometimes we have to push back against the feelings. And those feelings can be because it can be caused by spiritual dryness. So sometimes we isolate or we pull back and I'll just go do something else. Or we go looking to fill our lives with other things, to fill the dryness or fill the emptiness. And so we kind of get involved with this or involved with that. And they may not be bad things, but they're actually, you're trying to, and whether you realize it or not, it's kind of trying to take the place of what God's wanting to do. He says what you really need is living water, but you're trying to fill it with all this other stuff that is going to continue to let you just stay in a dry or dehydrated state. And things that can cause spiritual dryness, the first one and the biggest one is probably sin. You know, and, and sometimes it's sin that things that it's sin that you things that done, and we all make mistakes. We've all sinned, the Bible says. But when we come and confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us. That word cleanse is like living water, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sin can do it, and especially if there's sin in your life that you're doing stuff and you go, Well, it doesn't matter. I don't care. And it will make you dry. It will cause you to be distant from God. And so sin can cause spiritual dryness. Physical, mental, and emotional pain can cause physical dryness. You can have a physical problem. You can be in physical pain. And it's hard to do things. It might be hard to get to church. and you might, You're trying to focus or concentrate. And you're in physical pain. And that, that can cause it, you know, some distraction. And, and there could be emotion. There could be things that have happened to you. It might have been your fault. But someone has done something something or done something in your life and things have happened and it's caused you mental or emotional pain it's caused some isolation and then that isolation can pull you away from God or or it, it stops you from maybe meeting with other Christians because we need to meet together with other people in small groups and at church on a Sunday and as we saw the last few years we when people couldn't meet together it causes and it still is cause all kind of mental illness and mental stuff from not just church but all kinds of stuff when people could meet together and see family and all this stuff and it's, there's ramifications of not being able to meet together there can be emotional pain but it can cause all these things can cause people to be able to be sort of pulled away from God or, or cause them to go looking for something else to fill that gap to fill the dryness to fill that emptiness they're going there what what can I do and they go into all these places but the source is Jesus. And so religion can make you spiritually dry. We can get so religious and we don't even realize it. It's about going through the motions, singing a song, but you're not really engaged. Praying a prayer or reading the Bible, but you're just going, I'll pray the, read the Bible today and tick it off. Got it. But you can't remember what you read. 
And you can go through the motions, religious things and, and doing things and, and it actually going through it all. It's like you're there, but you're not really there. And Jesus wants you to be in the moment. He wants you to be engaged with full attention, mind, soul, spirit. And sometimes we can be here, but there's distraction. We're thinking, we're in church, but we're thinking about this. We're thinking about that. We're thinking about whatever. And God's saying, I'm here and I'm wanting to do more. And he says, I want your attention. He says, I want your thirst. I want your hunger. I didn't read this. I read this um, by an author a little while ago. It was a daily devotional. And I don't know exactly who wrote this, but it says, he said, said this. Here's the thing. The enemy promises water, but every time we go to his wells, they are empty. He gives us a sip of water, enough that we keep believing him. We have believed the lie that our cravings will be satisfied if we are enough and if we have enough. So we chase image, answers, things, people, and wonder all the while, why am I still thirsty? Sin, that's a picture of sin right there. Then we, oh, just yeah, just go do that thing. That'll give that'll give you that'll give you a hit or whatever, and that'll be great. And then you go to sin, and then it's like this small sip of water, and then it's just dryness, and then, and you and there's just no more, and you're left empty. God is clear in the book of Jeremiah about what's happening in Jeremiah two thirteen. This is pretty full on. It says, "My people have committed two sins; they've forsaken." They've forsaken me. That word forsaken means deserted or abandoned me. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cistern, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So what cistern is, when I first thought of cistern, I thought it's a well, but it's actually not. A cistern is a waterproof container. They can be quite large. They use them in desert areas and things overseas. A cistern is a waterproof container that catches rain and stores it. And chasing after wrong things is like digging your own cistern. But no matter what you do, any water you catch leaks out and runs dry and then and God's saying it's like they're trying to build their own do it their own way their own thing and build their own system it's got cracks in it it's broken it's not whole and so when they're trying to catch rain they're trying to catch water it quickly fills and, and just and falls away and they lose it and they've there's no water it's a dry place to be in and so you might be here feeling you might be here today and you're feeling a bit dry or feeling like there's been some spiritual dryness to some degree we think like I said before we aren't dry we think that it, you know that oh, everything's going okay but it's the moment it's the moment when we experience real living water that we realize that I thought I wasn't dry I thought that it was I had enough but God's saying there is far far more far more than we realize until we taste living water, we don't realize it. But Jesus wants to rebuild the systems of your life. He wants to rebuild. He says, don't, don't try and build things and try and the wrong way. Don't try and build something that's going to just not hold water the right way. Don't build something that's, that's false or whatever. He says, come to me. 
Come to me and I will rebuild your life. I'll rebuild that place. And so you can catch rain. You can catch my living water. You can catch my spirit. And you'll never, ever run dry. You'll never, ever run dry. And the cistern is a picture of our life that he says, I want you to be filled, filled, filled with living water. Over the last few months, I've been just remembering, for whatever reason, I keep remembering all these songs that, that were used uh, in past moves of God, in revival, I was went to Brownsville in 1998, and there was an incredible move of God there. And I've shared parts of that before. I'm not going to share about that today, but um, there was a river flowing in that place like I've never experienced in my life, and haven't ever since. And uh, and then, but there's all these songs. And when I started to realize I was putting this message together, a lot of these songs that have been going around. They're all talking about a river, and they're all talking about rain. And they're all times like God, and like I was at um, last week, I was at some Youth Alive meetings in Brisbane and meeting guys, and everywhere I've been, everywhere in, Br- in other places, and everywhere, people go up on stage and they're all, they're all talking about the word on lips said, there's a revival. There's a move of God coming. And, there's, and it's, not like, it's not like people have gone, God, let's send out the email. Okay, everyone, it's time to start talking about revival in all the churches so we're all on the same page and all that. It has this like, come on, it's, come on, make sure you're up there, talk about revival. No one said anything, but it's like wherever you go, there's a stirring. It's the Spirit of God is stirring people to say, I'm ready to move. I'm ready to come. He said, I'm just waiting for you. I'm just waiting for you. I'm just waiting for you to be hungry, to realize there is so, so much more. One of those songs the words of the song, which is simply called Let It Rain. There's a whole lot of songs called Let It Rain. And this is maybe one that's slightly older. He says, I'm dry and thirsty, Lord, send your rain. Send your rain, Lord, I need your touch again. Send your rain. Jesus, send your rain. Let it rain, let it pour from heaven. Let it rain to revive my soul. I need your rain. I need your springs of refreshing until I thirst no more. There was a, um, there's a passage in the Bible where Jesus gets up and says something, and I want to give you a background to what was happening at that time. Recently, in October, on the 9th to the 16th of October, in Jerusalem, they celebrate a festival. There's three main festivals they celebrate in the year. And, uh, and I know bits about them, and a lot of us wouldn't know everything about them. But this particular one is called the Feast of Tabernacles. They still celebrate it every year. And I want to explain to you what happens in that festival and why they celebrate that festival. It happened only two or three, about three weeks ago um, in Jerusalem. And they remember what God has done. The Feast of Tabernacles, which promised a time of great joy and rejoicing when God would one day, this is what they're celebrating still to this day, would God would one day come to earth among his people. They're talking about the Messiah. They're still believing the Messiah's, the Jewish people, is still to come. Certain rituals took place during this autumn Feast of Tabernacles and the climax of these celebrations happened on the last day of the feast, which was actually the eighth day. So they celebrate for a week. During the Feast of Tabernacles in the Bible, two important ceremonies, uh, ceremonies took place. The Hebrew people carried, you can read about it in the Bible, carried torches around the temple. This is the temple, at, you know, the main temple in Jerusalem, and illuminating bright candelabrum. So large candles, they lit large candles all around the, uh, the temple. 
and all the, all along the walls of the temple, and to demonstrate that Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. That's the whole meaning of it, that they lit these candles, meaning the Messiah who was coming would be a light to the Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, it's anyone that isn't Jewish. So we're classed as Gentiles, so to speak. Also, the priest drew water from the pool of Siloam and carried it to the temple where it was poured into a silver basin beside the altar. So for seven days, the people engaged in a solemn ritual where the priests would fill a pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam. It was also known by some rabbis as the Messiah's pool. And then returned it in a dignified procession to pour it out in great pomp and ceremony over the altar of the Lord. So I want you to try and picture there's a whole procession of priests carrying this water up some distance through up to the temple to pour it out on the altar. This was done in grateful remembrance of the rock that was struck in the wilderness and from which streamed life-giving water into the dusty desert for the thirsty Israelites. So the Israelites are in there. You can, I'll read this scripture to you of what, what happened. In Numbers 20, it talks about this. So you understand that the Israelites who have been come out of Egypt... They had, uh, they're wandering in the desert, which wasn't full of springs and food and everything. So God had to supernaturally sustain them. And the number was two and a half to three million people, which the desert could not sustain. And in Numbers 28 to 11, the Lord says this, You and Aaron, he's talking to Moses and Aaron, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, People uh, speak to the rock over there. And it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. Throw up three million people. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron, <coughs> Aaron, Aaron um, summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. And now listen to Moses was pretty, they've been grumbling, whinging, carrying on. And, uh, and so Moses has gotten a bit angry with the people. And, uh, and God said you shouldn't be angry, but he was. So this is his words. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff. And water gushed out. The Bible says it split open and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. We sort of read things like that. And if you don't look at the numbers, you think, oh, yeah, there was a few thousand people there. There was three million people plus all their animals, all their livestock. And this water gushed out of this rock and it was enough to feed and, have, and water them all. And so that's the background. So they're, they're the priests coming up in the procession. We're back to the tabernacles now and the ceremony. And they pour water on the altar, remembering, saying, Thank you, God, that you broke open that rock in the desert and that you fed us. Because that was their heritage. That was them, their whole descendants. If, that, if they didn't survive, that was it. The whole, the whole nation of Israel was there. And then the priests would do this. The priests would call upon the Lord to provide heavenly water in the form of rain for their supply. Also during this ceremony, the people look forward to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. 
And some, uh, some record the reference to the day spoken by the prophet Joel. They'd also remember that. And the prophet Joel said, In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so the priests would cry out to God saying, Lord, bring physical rain and spiritual rain. Holy Spirit, come. And so for seven days, they did the same thing. And so I didn't bother getting a picture, but today there's like it's a three-sided shelter. And they build these shelters out of, like, out of like linen and poles and things with a kind of a thatched roof, but rain can still get in. And they still do this today. And they're on the streets of Jerusalem in certain areas. And, they're all, and they sleep in it. They eat in these tabernacles and these shelters because that's exactly how their descendants did it in the desert, in the same type of shelter. So they actually go and do and live like they did for a week in remembrance of what they did and how they lived. And then every day they're coming up and they're saying, thank you, Lord, for providing water into the rock in the desert. And they did it for seven days. On the eighth day was a holy day. On this day that it was like a sacred day, a holy day, and so they, the priests didn't go and get the water. They just sat and remembered. But then something happened in John 7, 37 to 39. It says this, on the last day, because Jesus was sitting there watching all this. He was teaching around the temple during the day and all this stuff was going on. It says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. This hadn't happened before. And he says this, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit that was yet to be poured out. And so we have this picture of Jesus and they didn't realize it, but everything they'd been doing was pointing to him. Because but he was the rock in the desert, and you can read that in the Word of God. There's in the New Testament references Jesus was the rock that was struck in the desert, and living water flowed. Jesus was about to go to be crucified on the cross, and what happened when he was dead on the cross? They got a spear and put it in his side, and when they struck him, water flowed from his side. And so everything they were doing was a picture. The pool that they were getting the water from was also referenced as the Messiah's pool. So were getting water from the Messiah's pool, pouring on the altar, it represented the rock, which represented Jesus, and living water flowed, and everything they're doing was pointing to him, and they were saying, God, send us the Messiah, and Jesus stood up and said, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, and I'm living water, and he says, oh, it's here for you, living water water streams of living water and Jesus still today is standing and saying I am here there is living water for you who are dry who are thirsty who are looking for more who's saying where's where's God where's what's going on in this situation Jesus saying I'm here I'm living water don't get your eyes caught to the left or the right or behind or all everything else is going on look to me because I'm right there in front of you and I'm living water And then if you keep reading on, which I didn't know until I looked a bit further, it says the next morning Jesus came back to the temple and he started teaching again in the temple. 
And remember, the candles that were lit all around the temple were still burning. And then Jesus says this in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. And he's sitting in the temple and pointing at the candles that have been lit in the Feast of Tabernacles. And he looks and he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Everything they did, everything they still celebrate points to Jesus. And so Jesus is living water. And if you are being dry and feeling dry today, I want to tell you there's living water. And I believe that God is going to, if you are hungry and thirsty, that he wants to fill you today. And before we finish today, I want to um, read a couple of things to you to really, to make you thirsty, to make you hungry, to make you want more. And I, about two months ago, I shared a few things about the Azusa Street Revival. And I, I shared about a book that I've been reading um, that is entitled here somewhere where is it they told me their stories and uh, the book uh, is a book of stories of young people of teenagers and some adults that were there I'll read I'll share some of that in a moment but the Azusa Street Revival happened in 1906 to 1910 just so everyone's on the same page and understand what happened there it started in a house in a prayer meeting in Los Angeles and, uh, and they started praying together and in the end the police came and said you need to move somewhere else because people were spilling out onto the streets, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, falling over, uh, sitting in the yard, praising God, worshipping God and they couldn't fit in the house and so the police said you need to find a bigger place. So they found a warehouse, a warehouse that had been housing stinky animals, it was a mess, it was run down, it used to be a church and so they got this warehouse at a reasonable price and they cleaned this whole place up and they started holding meetings in this church and the two significant things that people keep talking about is that the main, well, the main guy that led it was William Seymour and uh, Pastor William Seymour and he basically him and, and many others were used by God in this and uh, but the prayer meeting started with him and uh, the thing they would talk about all the time is in this revival that like many times the fire trucks were called um, to the building in Los Angeles because people living around the area saw flames above the building and thought the building was on fire. And so the fire trucks were called and they'd turn up and they'd get there and they'd see the flames, but the building wasn't burning. And so it's kind of like the, the Moses and the burning bush. It's, that, it was, it's the glory of God. It looked like the, like the bush is burning, but it's not burning up. And it was the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And so many times people would see in the distance these flames. And these flames are about 15, 20 meters high above the building. And they used to talk about that and they'd look at it going, what's that? What's going on? Every time the flames increased, the miracles which were happening all the time, and I'm going to read you a couple of them in a moment, the miracles that happened all the time increased rapidly like they just became greater when, when God would sort of come in greater power the other thing they talked about was the glory of God in the building they called it the Shekinah glory there was a cloud that was there most of the time that was visible uh, that you could walk through that sometimes they said it was ankle deep sometimes it would rise up 
um, kids would play hide and seek in the cloud and hide on the other side of it during the meeting. And people would say that it's like when you, it's like when you walked in, you'd br- it's like breathing in heaven when you got in the cloud and you breathed like pure oxygen. People walked into it and were healed. And every person in this book, they would, couldn't stop. They talk about the miracles, but they said they kept talking about this cloud of glory that was in this place. And so... And sometimes the cloud, like when this fire on the building would happen, this cloud of glory would increase and move around the building and then the miracles would increase and and all these things. And so incredible things were happening. And so a guy called um, Tommy Welch uh, in the 1960s was living in LA and he was living near a whole bunch of these people who were involved in the Azusa Street Revival. They were all teenagers and kids and adults, some of them at the time, people in their 20s as well. And, and so he got together and what, in the 1960s and he basically went around and visited them weekly to their houses and sat at their feet and listened to their stories. And so, and he had no intention of writing a book, but then down the track in 2010, and actually the book came out, God said, no, I don't need to write anything or do anything. But he had written down all these stories, had all the documents, all these people he talked to. And then God said, I want you to write it all down and present it for people to read. And so that's the book I'd been reading. And so he sat down with these people who were then teenagers and they told of the miracles that God did. I want to read you a couple of these miracles. And... Um, and I don't know what it's going to activate in you. But there is, we're living so far below. We don't realise. We've got a problem with our health system and hospital system. The answer is simply Jesus healing them all. It is. And I'm not saying that to, because we've got doctors that are involved on that. But they're, you know, they're overloaded. There's things happening not that we, you know, doctors are amazing, medical things are amazing. There are still doctors being used in this with this revival. But there's people that Jesus can heal and relieve and, and do. And there's things that doctors and medicine can't do, but Jesus can. And I'm about to read you some. And I'm, my hope is that I felt when I, by reading these that it's going to make you thirsty for more. It's going to make you thirsty for living water. That it's not about the miracles. And they all said this. It's not about the miracles. The miracles simply point to Jesus. The signs and the wonders point to Jesus. People would walk into these meetings and hear about it or they'd see the fire on the building and go, what's that? And walk to it. And they'd walk in. They didn't know Jesus. They weren't Christians. They weren't following him. They'd get healed and then they'd start to follow him. Hundreds of people. And there was thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands of miracles in the four years. Thousands of them. And so I want to talk to you about, this is one guy Tommy sat with and listened to. His name is David Garcia. He was 18 years old in Azusa Street. Now he's in his 60s or 70s telling him these stories. The story Brother David began with is the Grand Central Station experience. There's a Grand Central Station in New York as well as Los Angeles. 
David lived about half a mile on the other side of Grand Central Station and walked right by it, uh, coming to Azusa Street Warehouse. One evening, he ran to the meeting to find Frank Bartleman and told him that he needed to come to Grand Central Station. Why? What's going on there? Bartleman asked out of curiosity. Brother Garcia, while trying to catch his breath, exclaimed, you've got to come and see this. The anointing is far beyond where it had been in the past. You have to come down and see. Together, Bartleman and Garcia ran, ran down to the station that was half a mile away from the warehouse. There they witnessed people come in from all over the world, get off a train, walk across the platform and fall out under the power of the Spirit, speaking in tongues. Someone had com uh, commented that the phenomenon had been happening all day long. When Garcia first saw the people laying all over the platform area, he thought it was disaster <laughs> until he realized what was going on and ran to Frank Bartleman. Frank had talked about a line or a, or a circle several blocks around Azusa Street Warehouse where the power of God extended outward. Several blocks before reaching the warehouse, people were being healed falling out in the spirit and speaking in tongues for the first time. This was the first time God's power had reached all the way to Grand Central Station. Although no, although no miracles were taking place, the, pre, uh, the presence and power of God without question had now moved out half a mile from the actual warehouse. Brother Garcia was awestruck by the Shekinah glory, that's what I mentioned before, that lingered for over three years at and around the warehouse. He would tell me, we have got to get the Shekinah back if we want to see a worldwide revival. I asked Brother David, did you ever see the flame? He told me there was times he was coming to the meeting late and would see the flames as far away as, uh, as, far away as Grand Central Station. Brother Garcia would think, whoa, God's moving again and would run to Azusa because he knew that's when the fire was falling. There was more power at the meeting, and he wanted to be a part of it. He explained that the experience was greater than breathing pure oxygen. There were times the Shekinah glory was only a foot high, and he would lie down in it to breathe God's glory. He often stressed that the greater the Shekinah glory, the greater power. He would note that the flames were there when God, through William Seymour, performed the miracles where a leg grew, regrew, and another where an arm regrew. Garcia was there when the arm grew out, he said. Brother Tommy, he didn't have a ball joint in his shoulder. It had been ripped out, ripped out of there. I, I, I was close enough to be looking right at the shoulder, and all of a sudden I saw the bones start to come out, and then flesh started coming around them. His arm just shot out in what just seemed like a second as I watched it. For Garcia, it seemed like he was watching in slow motion as he was awed at what God was doing. God did the same thing with a leg. There was just so many amazing miracles that I read in this book that are just unbelievable things. Then a few weeks later, this guy whose arm grew out, who hadn't been under work because of the accident he had, a few weeks later, he came back bringing 200 people with him. Telling many at the meeting that he had gotten his old job back. That's a pretty good witness when you've got no arm and you can work up Garnier and they walk up with an arm. What happened to you? Well, this is what happened. They can't argue with that. 
He's been, he was 10 years without an arm after the accident. Many of these he brought with him needed healing and left that evening, left that evening fully restored as people in the crowd prayed and laid hands on each of them. One thing about this is that it wasn't just a couple of people praying for people. God used everyone in the building. There was kids, there was kids praying for people and, and miracles were taken, people that were blind, deaf, in wheelchairs. Kids were praying for them and they were getting up and walking. Teenagers, 13, 14, 15, 16. The two, the two uh, men that out of, out of this, another thing I should mention is that out of Azusa Street, our church was birthed. Assemblies of God came out of this revival. That's how it started. And two teenagers that are written about in the book, they were 14 and 15 years old, were the ones that started the Assemblies of God, which is now all over the world. But it started what they saw. They were there every night for three years, four years, seeing these miracles, and that's what they birthed the church out of. As Do you want to come up and start strumming your guitar? And so... All those people he brought were healed. Then Brother Garcia also recalls a man in his mid-30s who had a gum disease. His face was almost as dark, uh, dark red due to poison in his gums, which were a blackish color because of teeth rotting. He laid hands on the man and prayed and then told him to open his mouth. He asked the man if he felt anything and the man replied, Yeah, I feel something. Brother Garcia said, I don't think so. You didn't feel anything because nothing happened here. Close your mouth again. Garcia prayed a second time and asked, feeling anything? A little, Garcia replied. Then he says, we're not getting it done. Before he prayed a third time, he asked, do you believe God is going to give you new gums, new teeth, and he's going to clear up this infection in your face? Do you understand that this is what we're praying for? (laughs) You're going to get healed In obedience, the man said, okay. Garcia prayed, and this time the redness disappeared from the man's face. When the man opened his mouth, his gums were turning pink. And to Garcia's astonishment, he saw rotten teeth heal. By the time the man left the meeting that evening, he was completely healed. There was other people that shared stories where God would just, people had missing teeth, broken teeth, and he would just grow them out. They said they would lay hands on their gums where there was no tooth, and they felt the tooth come out of the gum and push their tooth, push their finger up in their mouth. The people with cleft plate that had holes in the roof of their mouth, and God healed them instantly. Deaf, deaf people, blind people. There's, there was just this incredible amount of miracles. And when I read those, I realize that there is much, much more. Much, much more. We come and we gather for church and we've got an awesome church. And there's nothing, and not saying anything on our church, but there is just more. And God is stirring the church and saying, come on, there is so much more. If you're hungry, I've had, there's, there's no limitation. There's nothing else I can't do. There's nothing I can do. It doesn't matter how sick you are, what's going on in your body. Nothing by those, there's nothing He can't do if we dare to believe. In Ezekiel 47, it talks about God shows Ezekiel a river in a vision. 
and this river runs, it says it runs through the throne, the altar. It runs past the altar, through the temple and runs out. That's a picture of the church and it runs out. And it says the river runs out into the countryside and everywhere the river goes, everything becomes green. Trees grow. Everything becomes green. It says, it talks about in Ezekiel, and you can go home and read it because I've got time to read it, Ezekiel 47. And it says that, he said that everywhere the salty water became pure again. And, and then God says to Ezekiel, he says, I want you to step into it. And he, and he walks 500 meters into the river right on one side. It's a, it's a massive, massive wide river. And he runs, walks into it and he's, and he's up to ankle deep, 500 meters in. And he said, no, walk further. And he walks another 500 meters and gets up to his knees. And he says, no, walk again. And he gets 500 meters up to his waist and he stops and he says, no, I want you to, he wants you to go again, walk again. And he walks another 500 until he can't touch anymore. And he's swimming and he's submersed in this river. That river is God's talking about is the river of the Holy Spirit. It's living water that God is giving a picture of what he's going to do. And this is what I felt this morning about that river. Because have you ever, you ever gone and tried to jump in it? You get in a swimming pool and it's cold, you're going to go for a swim. I've done this heaps of times. And sometimes you just, instead of just diving in, you kind of walk into your feet and go, oh, it's cold. And then you go, and then in your feet kind of, you feel a little bit better, they stop going numb. And then, then you get to your knees and it's like cold again. And, you get, and, then, and then you make the mistake, you walk up to your waist and you're like, oh! You know exactly what I mean. And you stop going oh and he was like into the pot where the next stop is like I've got to jump I've got to get all the way in or I've got to get all the way out all right and so it's like and I feel like there's a whole bunch of us we're halfway in we've been halfway in for a while for quite a while it's like I want what God wants but I was doing there's this and there's this and God's saying have you have you ever tried to wade through water when you're halfway in it's hard work when you're all the way in, you swim, you go much faster. God doesn't want us to be halfway in. He doesn't want to be halfway in. I'm a sort of half in, half out God. He says, get in, get in and swim. It's time to dive in. Some of you just need to go, I'm not going to stay halfway in anymore. I'm going all the way. I'm going all the way in. I'm going to, I'm going to get in His river of living water. He said, I feel dry. You may feel dry. You may feel thirsty. You may feel like there's more. Maybe you've been feeling it for a while. And God's saying, today is an opportunity to get all the way in. It's not just about one service. You need to seek God at home. You need to seek Him. You need to hunger for Him at home through the week every day. You need to be doing and actioning things in your life every day. It's not just about one service, but today I want to tell you there is living water here today. There is a river here today that He wants to pour out. And those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, God is going to pour out His Spirit on you if you are Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Bayside Christian Church.